Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 7. My trip to South Dakota was the best summer ever. Now I don't need to go to Mars because I've been to the Badlands. And I caught a bigger walleye than Dad when we went to the Missouri River. Then I rode my bike through these huge rocks called needles. Ooh, I also saw my first herd of bison, even a fuzzy furry baby one. I can't wait to go back and see more. There's so much South Dakota, so little time. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. You were going to hit the heights of political consulting. You were in that groove, and that's a very lucrative business, puts you at the center of power, you know, depending on which party, of course, is in power. And many people would love or kill to have that job. And you switched completely, like... You went 180 degrees and started writing jokes for a comedian. I wrote about 100 jokes a day for Jay. So when you figure out the number of shows he did, it's about 500,000. Now, let me say something. 18,000 got on. That's not bad, though. It's a 3.6% hit rate. I want to write a good joke. And you mentioned how, what your initial strategy was. You'd wake up in the morning, you'd spread out the newspapers, you'd look at some headlines, and there was kind of like... Interesting headline, twist, punchline. And you would do that over and over and over again. But I tried to do that for myself in preparing for this podcast, and I really couldn't do it. It's really much harder than it sounds. You make it sound so easy, and it's much harder. So how about I give you some okay. some headlines? Okay, well, first of all, for you younger <laughs> listeners, a newspaper is in the internet made out of wood. <laughs> John Max, I'm so excited to have you on here. First off, I'm sure you know Dave Berg. A fine, fine gentleman. A fine man I've known since 1992. Great guy. That's such a great thing. Like, A, well, I just want to explain who he is for a second. He was the producer. You you identify him in your book, Monologue. He was a segment producer, but I guess he also rose up to be exact producer or some kind of producer. Uh, the, the, you know, the one some thing producer. about this is everyone gets a great title at some point except a writer. Okay, so good to know. There you go. So so he was the producer of The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. You wrote the monologue for Jay Leno for all 22 years of the run of the show, right? Or you wrote you wrote jokes for the monologue wrote, for all exactly. 22 years. And I, you also wrote for the Tonys, for the Emmys, for the Grammys, for the Academy Award. Every award show you could think of, you've written for. You know, my motto is always, you know, no show too small, no fee too large. And uh, I, I like that. I have to start using that motto. But um, what were some of the um, Oscars that you've that you've written for? The, uh, the first one I wrote for was uh, in 1997. I got a call from Billy Crystal. And he said, uh, I saw your stuff you had written for the ESPY Awards. And I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, he said, uh, why don't you come in and meet me? I came in and meet him. And he said, you know, why don't you write? Um, he had taken four years off from doing the Oscars. So this was his first year back. So we kind of changed things up that year, which made it really exciting. That was the first year he did one of those films in the beginning where he inserted himself. Uh, which was really groundbreaking at did, the time. Did you um, kind of write that film, or were yeah. you writing the jokes we, around uh, it? Uh, I was. We all wrote everything. We wrote for the song. Mark Shaman, obviously, and Scott Women took the lead on that. Uh, but we also did. Um, you know, I wrote. You know, for that film and laid it out. We looked at the clips. Which do we use? And monologue jokes. And then he brought me back the next year, in '98 when he did it. And then in 1999. Whoopi Goldberg uh, hosted, and Whoopi called Billy and said, who's a writer you would recommend? And she, Billy recommended me. Then in 2000, he did it again. Then 2001, Steve Martin called Billy. And uh, Is that kind of intimidating, writing for... Like, Steve Martin, I, I all of these people are geniuses, but I feel like Steve Martin is above and beyond, like, crazy genius. He's, I mean, the, the, they all have their special things. Steve is unique, and it was, again, when, when people say who your favorite host to write for, it's really, I mean, there's three that, you know, I mean, Billy first, you know, 
probably the greatest Oscar host of all time. Steve, totally different style monologue. Uh, you know, much more in the Johnny Carson sense. Brilliant. Just, he's absolutely brilliant. Um, and then he recommended me to uh, Chris Rock. And so I wrote for Chris in 2005 or six. And then Chris brought me back this year. Chuck Scar and I were his head writers this year. For, you're kidding. Uh, this show, yes. Wow. So, okay. So the main thing is your book monologue is a, is really focuses on two things. One is um, your, your 20 plus years writing um, what was it? A half a million jokes for Jay Leno? Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I wrote. Uh, you know, there's some writers that are, that are more uh, shotgun, single bullet, know exactly where to hit. I'm more scattershot. Uh, so I wrote about 100 jokes a day for Jay. So when you figure out the number of shows he did, it's about 500,000. Now let me say something. 18,000 got on. Okay. That would that would be an accomplishment. No, four hundred eighty. That's not bad though. It's a three point six percent hit rate. Okay, but four hundred eighty-two thousand are in a landfill somewhere. So look at it that way. Uh, but yeah, so I wrote about a hundred jokes a day for Jay. That is unbelievable. And did you start off right away? Like you were able to do? Like do you feel like you improved over the years? Uh yeah. I, I have so many questions about this, so I'm just going to blurt them out and uh, ignore how I've blurted them. No, no problem. It's, hey, look, you know, all geniuses are scattershot. That's how mm -hmm. I look at it. So we'll go all over the place. <laughs> Um, no, I hit, uh, you know, I was a political consultant beforehand. Right. And, uh, I started writing jokes for fun and sent some into Jay before he took over the show and he called me and I figured I'd take a break from political consulting for, you know, 13 weeks it was, and I never went back. And um, you were working side by side with James Carville. Yeah, as James, a my closest consultant. friend in the world. So, so you could have been, basically you could have won Clinton's campaign for him. I did help you, out there. Uh, it was right when I was doing the transition, but, uh, interestingly I have, uh, I ended up doing debate prep for Bill in 96, and I did debate prep in 2000 for Joe Lieberman, 2004 for Kerry, 2008 for Obama and Biden, and 2012 for uh, President Obama. Okay, okay. So, again, um, I'm sorry. I really, my main thing is I really want to get to, to the how, comedy. how to write a half a million jokes, but I have to ask, John Kerry in 2004, many people might not have listened to it. I listened to, the, to his debates Seems like the worst debater possible. <laughs> Actually, he uh, see this is where I disagree. He, if you look and you look back, you may not like him stylistically, but afterwards, it was believed he won every debate. Really? Um, was he funny? Well, you don't have to be funny. What you do in those debates is it's more of a what I'll call a jujitsu move. So um, the classic one is in Lloyd Benson. Yes, Dan 19, well. in which it, it, I, I did not write that line. I know who did. It was a guy named Michael Sheen, a very good friend. Everyone knew that Dan Quayle was going out there saying, uh, on the on the stump, he was saying, you know, people say I don't have enough experience to run for vice president. I have just as much experience in the Senate as Jack Kennedy had when he ran for president. So the minute he used that line in the debate, Benson was set. And he just said, you know, Senator, I know Jack Kennedy. I serve with Jack Kennedy. You are no Jack Kennedy. So it's if you know the line that's coming or you can anticipate, you have one in reserve. And one debate for John Kerry we had this line ready. Uh, President Bush had been saying, uh, you can run, but you can't hide. You can run, but you can't hide. Well, I came up with a line that was this. Say, you know, Mr. President, that's a line from the great fighter Joe Lewis about Billy Kahn. But there's another line by another favorite fighter of mine, Muhammad Ali. And in the rumble in the jungle, he turned to George Foreman and said, is that all you got, George? Hmm. That then sets that's up great. what you do. So it's not comedy lines. It's more just clever turning a phrase. Why do you feel, uh, and I don't want to get too political because by the, who knows by the time this airs, the election might've already happened. But, uh, uh, why do you feel in both the Trump and the Hillary there, you could tell, you could almost see their attempts at those one liners and they, they sort of fell flat a little bit. Uh, I mean, are we expecting the one liners now? I think, I think a little bit expecting it also that's, let's take Hillary, for example, that's just not her strength. Hillary's strength is giving you a 72, you know, point plan for how we're going to handle, you know, trade negotiations with East Timor. Okay, that's her strength. Donald Trump's strength, if it is a strength, is to just bort stuff out. Uh, that is really, he's, I mean, he's, he's a bad version of my buddy Jeff Ross. He's just a bad insult comic. Uh, so neither of them are particularly adept at listening and reacting. Hillary plays to her strength. Trump really played, I think, to his weakness in a debate. But that's just me. Playing. Like if you were writing for, and maybe you were or not, I don't know. If you were writing for Hillary, is there anything you would have done differently like for any of these debates? Because we know what Trump's going to accuse her of and what he's going to bring up. 
Uh, no, I think, to be honest, I think that that is, you know, she had some lines that were good. And none, by the way, I did not, I was not involved in it. Um, she had some lines that I thought were good. Her delivery is not exactly, uh, you know, the sharpest. Uh, and it's a little too forceful uh, in doing it. But she made her point and she did have some good comebacks. I, you know, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have changed anything with her. With Trump, again, you know, he, he had some okay one-liners actually right. in his blurts. Right, in his blurts, but then he steps on them and he goes too far, mm. uh, clearly. So, so okay, Let, now I'll back reel to it the back real to, stuff. Yeah, now back to back comedy. To, to just funny stuff. Forget uh, import, the most important election ever. Um, so, so you're, you're doing political consulting. Uh, your buddy, Senator Paul Simon, uh, fails to laugh at a funny joke and realizes that you're the one who's funny and. Bam, you start yeah, getting into he's, comedy. He start, and uh, Paul was doing, I did Paul's Senate race in 1990. And then the next year he was doing the gridiron, which is a speech in Washington where you have to be funny for the press. Paul called and said, John, you, you should write some jokes for me. So I did some. And then I got a call afterwards from Frank Mankiewicz, who had put the speech together for him and said, John, your joke's really funny. You should do this for a living. Yeah, 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 yeah. So fine. So I saw that Jay was taking over the Tonight Show and I figured, what the hell? I'll send in some jokes. And I did. And. He started using them when he was guest hosting. What was the first joke he used? It was horrible. Uh, I, I mean, it was a horrible joke. I don't joke think you mentioned that joke. No, in the book. it was. I'll tell you, it was July tenth or eleventh in nineteen ninety one. I do remember the date, and I was watching at home. And the joke was there had been a solar eclipse that day, and the joke was, you know, there was a solar eclipse today. Uh, all kinds of strange things happened during a solar eclipse. You know, the cows start, you know, you know, stop mooing during the day. You know, the chickens go to sleep and the hookers come out in Times Square. Um, it's just a stupid rule of three jokes. And I'm watching the show and I turn to my wife and I said, I think that was my joke. Wait, but I, here's the thing. I get it. It's funny because uh, the hookers is everything right. else is so idyllic and then the right. hookers is not idyllic. But it's not really a twist. No, it was because the hookers do come out in Times Square every night. Right, exactly. You know, but it was it was it was during the day. So it was the nighttime and, and they came out. It was it was again, it was. I realized then that my strength was going to be volume. Uh, <laughs> and then he called me up and he said, you know, I'm putting together staff for the show. Would you do it? I said, well, I, you know, I've got contracts and clients in this election till 92. He said, Hey, you got a good work ethic, do both. So I would fly back and forth. I'd, I'd handle a Senate client in South Dakota. I'd fly to LA. I'd send in jokes every day. I'd fax on the road. I'd go to South Carolina. And at the beginning, I probably wrote about 40 a day. And then when I decided I want to do this, when I was fully committed in the sense of I didn't have my political clients anymore, all of a sudden I realized I was writing about 100 jokes a day. So it's very interesting because I've seen this quite a bit uh, among guests on my show. Somebody reaches almost the heights of a dream career. Like you were you were going to hit the heights of political consulting. You were in that in that groove. And um and that's a very lucrative business. Puts you at the center of power, you know, depending on which party of course is in power. And and many people would would love or kill to have that job. And you switched completely. Like you went 180 degrees and started writing jokes for a comedian. Right. And and even though he d does address, of course, comedians, you know, the ultimate idea is that they speak the truth, just like you would hope politicians do and often don't. Um, so you can argue you were trying to get closer to the the, the mm -hmm. real truth. Uh, it's still so something so different. Like what what made you, were you feeling frustrated as a... a Not really. I was, as I said, I was at the, the top of the B list or the bottom of the A list of consultants. I can't decide which. But you were moving but up. I you was, were young. But I was, I, and, and still I'm young. I'm only 30 still. I just, <laughs> I just age badly. Um, you know, I looked... You know, I, I was. I was on a track that was going very well. I, I had great partners in Carl Struble and Glenn Totten at the time. and But made the decision, uh, you know, let's go back. When I, was, when I was young, I was fascinated by two things, politics and comedy. And How young when you say when you were 15, young? 15. Okay, so uh, like, what would you do? Watch I was, I was Pryor passing and... out. I would watch Carson mm -hmm. at night. Uh, that would be Johnny Carson, not Carson Daly for some of the <laughs> younger people out there. Uh, I would, uh, I was passing out literature and campaigns. I was volunteering in my local democratic committee. And, uh, I, I, one day I said, you know, I'll send in some jokes to Johnny Carson. And I sent in jokes at 15 and they came back unopened. We do not accept material. 
But I always had that. And then when I was in law school, yes, it's my little secret. I am a lawyer. Um, I was in law school. I was doing some stand-up and realized that you, and I was also running a political campaign. I was doing everything but going to class in law school. I realized you can do one thing 300 nights a year. You can do politics or you can go perform. And so I chose politics, but I always had that comedic bug. And when the opportunity came all of a sudden, I said, well, let me try writing some jokes, you know, for Jay. And it worked out. So it wasn't frustration. It was, I've done this really well. What would be more interesting over time? And and given the amount of effort and work you put in into the politics, because you can argue the law school and, 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 and so on was part of that, uh, when you we're thinking about this career transition because it sounded like you made a, a decision pretty quickly once Jay Leno called. When you were thinking about it and when you were thinking about it with your wife, did either of you hesitate and say, hey, we just put all this kind of, you know, life investment in this one area and now we're going to start making, you know, you know, just writing a joke, a couple of jokes a day. Can I really rise up? Did, were you nervous? Well, let's, and let's not forget, I, I had a girlfriend in virtually every city too. So everyone, no. <laughs> so what happened was, was, no, I was traveling about 250 nights a year doing campaigns. I see. And I had my third kid at the time. Well, actually, my wife had the third kid. I just was there in the room. And it was You're like, okay, do you want it? Do you want to be a father? you want to be home or do you want to be somebody calling in once a week, like one of those bad commercials where the guy's bringing the doll back, he picks up the airport for his daughter and then uses the Expedia points to make her happy. You know, and I decided I wanted to be a dad. And I realized that I could try it with Jay. It was a 13 week contract, mind you, that's it. I could try it for 13 weeks. If it worked, great. If it didn't work, I knew my, my firm was holding the partnership open for a year for me. I see. So and you had a discussion. I had a, with them. I had a safety net, and they and they were probably pretty excited about it, like because maybe it's even mm, a contact for them. No, I think they were. <laughs> much as I love Carl and Glenn, I didn't think they took it particularly well when I said, "Guys, you know, I know we sign a lot of clients for next year, but I'm going to be out in L.A." Uh, it, it, they, they in the end they were very accommodating and great, but I think. You know, it's not like it's saying, oh my, son, oh my God, we're missing the greatest political consultant ever, but I was an integral part of that. And I think they had to make some adjustments, which they did very nicely. So so I'm going to segue again away from comedy for a second. Just how do I win a political campaign? Like right now, if I wanted to run for Congress for or you? something. Yeah. You for Congress? Okay, the first thing I would do, I, w I would play on the part that, that you are not a politician. I mean, if you suddenly enter the race now, you basically would say, I'm different than everyone else. I'm not a politician. I am. I am going to do this. I would do this. I'd say I'm going to. I'm going to be there for two years. That's it, and I'm out. I'm going to see what I can do in two years. That's not a, a vague promise. That's what I'm going to do. We're going to change things right now. Anti-Washington, anti-establishment is what's working now. And and let's say there's. I mean, it seems like in every election there's some random guy who thinks he could run and win. How do I stand out versus like the, the, the set of random guys who are trying to beat the Sadly, incumbent? Sadly, you want to be the random guy with a lot of money. If you're the random guy with a lot of money, that makes you stand out over the random guy with no money. I see. Again, you know, I always say that, that, that when you're at a singles bar, the guy that looks like a four who's got a million dollars is suddenly an eight. <laughs> That's a good, good point. Somebody once told me um, in the primary, just... Um, just campaign in senior citizen homes because the senior citizens win the primaries for candidates. Is that true? Well, it depends on the district. But if, uh, you know, if you're in Florida, you know, it, you know God's waiting room, you know, if you're down there, yeah, you, 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 again, you want to go where the votes are. You know, if you're in uh, a city like Philadelphia, you know, and you're Jewish like I am, you know, you want to campaign in Northeast Philadelphia, you know, in Center City, um, you want to go. So you where play to your strengths. You play to your strengths. A primary, you want to maximize. I call it maximizing the minimum. Actually, this is an interesting thing because it's related to business, and I've heard it said about politics, which is that, you know, play to your demographic as opposed to trying to win over the other demographics. And that's not necessarily always true in business. Sometimes in business, if your product is for a certain demographic, you want to try to figure out how to increase uh, the other demographics buying your product. Right. So, so. In politics, is that really true? Well, to a degree. For example, Trump's problem is his demographic isn't enough to win the election. Hmm. So if you're trying to get 100% of 35% of the vote, you're going to lose. Hmm. If you, you know, what Hillary has done, and again, I don't know when this is going to run, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that, that 
you know, I'll look like an idiot if it doesn't happen, then she's going to swamp them. Uh, and, you know, what's going to happen is because she's expanded her base. She's, she's going beyond the natural Democratic base. You have to do that. If in a primary, more importantly, you get that base out. And that's what Donald did. What Trump did in the Republican primary, it was he maximized that minimum. It still was never in most states till the very end when people dropped out. Really wasn't much above 50% of the vote. He was winning primaries and caucuses early with 30, 32%. He maximized that, the minimum, and won. So, okay, now fully back, back to, to comedy. Back to comedy. <laughs> Finally. I want to I wanna write a good joke. And you, and you mentioned how, what your initial strategy was. You'd wake up in the morning, you'd spread out the newspapers, you'd look at some headlines, and there was kind of like interesting headline, twist, punchline. And you would do that over and over and over again. But I tried to do that for myself in preparing for this podcast, and I really couldn't do it. It's really much harder than it sounds. You make it sound so easy and it's much harder. So how about I give you some okay. some headlines? Okay, well, first of all, for you younger <laughs> listeners, a newspaper is in the internet made out of wood. Okay, so imagine wood pulp with the internet on it. So now that they'll understand what we talk about. But I, I like the vision of it's all spread out and like you're in, yes. the, you're in your living room floor with a cup of is coffee. It? And um, so, okay, so I've got, um, uh, you, know, tr you know, Trump refuses to say he'll accept election results. Okay, now, interesting. So what, what the first thing I do is go to what are other things in the news that I can relate it to? You can do a joke in and of itself, but I also am a big fan of association jokes. So on that, I would say, you know, uh, and people would get this today, I would say, well, the Toronto Blue Jays lost yesterday. However, they say they're refusing to accept the fact that the Cleveland Indians are going to the World Series. Good. So again, we've made an association with something else in the news. You don't have to even do the setup because everyone already knows out there what Trump has said. So you don't have to do that setup. You can take it right to the Toronto Blue Jays as the as the opening statement. Okay, here, here's one I saw yesterday. Uh, Chuck Berry says he's going to release a new album at the age of 90. The uh, it, It's called Gateway to Forest Lawn. The big song is called Gateway to Heaven. Uh, you know, Stairway to Heaven. I mean, you can uh, do jokes on him being 90. Um I'm not going to go into some of Chuck's uh, proclivities from the past, but you could do a couple jokes on some of the little scandals in his life. Um, you could uh, you could do jokes. I would go to his song titles from the past and say Maybelline is now a rascal scooter. You know, so I would go, I would do that, you know, playing on the age thing. Um, there was one I saw today. You, you mentioned you sometimes look at FARC.com, so I look there. Uh, Stephen Hawking thinks that AI will eventually kill us all. Uh, how do you make fun of Stephen Hawking? Well, it, again, it, you know, in this 20 years ago, very easy in this area, in this, uh, year of trigger warning, safe spaces and politically correct humor. You know, people are going, Oh, you can't do a Stephen Hawking joke. Do uh, one here though. <laughs> uh, Stephen Hawking joke says, says that AI, what was the premise that AI is going to, AI will eventually kill us all. Uh, AI will eventually kill kill us off. Uh, or kill us all. Kill us off. Uh, I would, again, probably not a ripe topic, but I would say, uh, I would do something about Trump maybe at that point and saying, say, Donald Trump says he can stop it by building a wall and make Mexico pay for it. It's a weak joke. I mean, they're, again, they're not all gems. Uh, it's a tough topic because of Stephen Hawking and because of that. I'd probably do one joke on that. No, it wasn't going to get in. So, so it's interesting. So the association one re worked really well. Like the t Toronto Blue Jays, right. you know, not accepting the results of the game was good. Uh, uh, what are other some other tricks? Uh, you know, again, there's there's you know there's association jokes. There's taking the punt. You know, the the setup in a late night monologue is always true. So right. the setup, the fact is out there. You're doing a topical monologue off something that is like said the solar eclipse happened today. Solar eclipse happened today. There was a debate last night. Donald Trump said this. Hillary Clinton said this. That would be the setup. Then you can associate it with something else. You can do a twist on it by twisting it a little bit. Um, you can do a rule of threes. You know, there was a, a great joke that uh, Billy Crystal did at the um, uh, Broadway for Hillary. The other night, Billy did this joke. He said, uh, now, Donald Trump reminds me a lot of hurricane season. Starts out with a lot of hot air. So it spins out of control. And by the first week in November, he's completely gone. So there is a great joke by Billy. And there you have your rule of threes taking things through the process. That's how I do it. Now, there's another thing we do. It's called formula jokes. That's what happens when a writer's stuck. 
And a formula joke is really, to me, I always think of Johnny Carson with it's so hot, it's so cold. Uh, you take a premise, gas prices are so high, you know, uh, gas prices are so high that, that uh, if gas prices are high today, gas prices are high that Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton carpool to the debate. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, but you know what seems like the hard part to me, and maybe this is just like an intelligence thing, is that Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton carpool today. So I get the fact that you could start off with this premise that's true and inter- and whatever, interesting to people, uh, but then kind of that final punchline, I guess, which is the whole idea, is... You have to know yeah. so much. Like, Otherwise, as, as, as my buddy Wayne Klein once said, if you don't have the punchline, it's just a documentary. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, what, again, but in your mind as a common art, you know, it's that ADD. I've got 90 different stories going on. Now, I don't have them like I did when I was doing this full time, but I know that there was a baseball game last night. And I know that the Cleveland, you know, the Cleveland Indians are going to the World Series. And I know that, you know, that there was, that Donald Trump said this, and I know Hillary said that, and I know that the weather's turning in New York, and I know that it's raining, and I know that Putin's done this. So you have all those things in the back of your mind, and if you have a formula joke, then you start to just look at all the other news. What can I associate? What's the big story? Hillary and Donald don't like each other. Okay, so that's how you work with the carpooling joke. Okay, so like let's say Hillary... Uh has 33,000 deleted, Hillary deleted 33,000 emails. Yeah, I mean, Hillary Clinton had 33,000 deleted emails, you know, uh, you know, 32,950 were from cheaters.com saying, do you know where your husband is today? (laughs) I mean, you know, you could do, again, that's a basic joke. Um, You know, I would do, uh, I would probably do to that, I would use that more as a sketch. To me, something like that, it's a one-liner or here's some of the emails we found in Hillary Clinton's uh, email thing. You know, it's from, you know, pantsuits.com, you know, something like that. Right. It's, I would do this and I do, I do it. I think you could do a pretty good bit on that. So, so it's interesting because, um, I mean, with, with Jay Leno, who was, before he was hosting The Tonight Show, he was obviously an excellent stand-up comedian all through the 70s, both New York and mostly in mm-hmm. L.A., uh, on Johnny Carson repeatedly, and then ultimately that led to The Tonight Show. Right. But stand-up, it seems, is inherently different from doing the monologue. Because Absolutely. even though it's jokes, and the jokes might even have the same format, uh, a, a, a stand-up uh, routine could last somebody a year or more. It has to be so good, it's going to travel with them. Whereas you had to write a new whole routine every night. Right. So what, what, what are, what are kind of like the, the fundamental differences well, what's the difference in quality first of all like is is the monologue definitely like lower quality than uh, uh louis ck stand well well again let's take louis for example or chris rock or jay whatever before when if if louis has gone out say in building a stand-up special from a year from now he's out three nights a week at the clubs five nights a week six nights three times a night trying new jokes out okay and they're time tested they're tried and true he knows it's going to work because he's now done it every night in th- you know three different clubs for six months. So that goes in there. This joke didn't work. This joke works better if I try this wording. So by the time you see that one-hour special or you see his stand-up act, that is tried and true with every line being killer. When you're a late-night monologue, whether it's Leno, Letterman, Kimmel, Fallon, Conan, Seth, whoever, you're doing it for the first time. Those jokes have been written that day and they're on. So if you're doing a 25-joke monologue, if five kill and 10 are good and five are fair and five, check my math, somebody, and five are, are, are bad, that's pretty good because they've never been heard before. And so do they have to be, do they have to almost have a different style of delivery because they almost have to assume most are not going to be killer. So the style must have, the delivery it's has to be different. It's more hit and run. It, it, it's you don't assume it's not going to work because even though it's only for that day, you're investing in that joke. You've you've Jay would read say 1,500 jokes a day and write obviously on his own, and that would boil down to 100 he was considering, and then the 25 or so that got in. So you're invested in that 25, but it's hit and run. If one doesn't work, you're moving on. Whereas a comic, a stand-up, is taking a premise off, and remember Jay is doing a joke and then moving on to the topic. A stand-up is doing a routine. He's building on it. He's taking a premise and building. There's jokes within it, but it's an evergreen. And it's, 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 he's leaving a little bit of himself. He's giving of himself. 
you you get who he or she really is in what they're saying. But if someone watches like let's say Chris Rock and then like his HBO special and then watches Jay Leno, the first instinct is going to be, oh, Jay Leno's not as funny as Chris Rock. Chris Rock just spent a year building that special. You're, you're comparing apples to oranges, right? I right, mean, but do people realize they're comparing apples no, to oranges? No, they don't. They don't at all. Uh, well, some do. I mean, like, but, does it frustrate you when someone calls you and says, "Oh, Jay Leno's really not that funny"? I watched it for the first time today. Yeah, it it, it, it always did frustrate me, and you know, you you want to just say you're an idiot, but you don't. Again, the like Chris Rock respects Jay Leno. Jay Leno respects Chris Rock. Louis C.K., Jerry, everyone respects each other because they know how hard what it is to do stand-up. I always say, see, you know, for people who say that, say, you know, some of the, first of all, the jokes were funny, or at least they're funny when they were written. Uh, but more importantly, if if you want to see how Jay at his absolute best, go see his stand-up act, which is still, always was, and is still legendary. Well, well, I remember reading in, in one of the, comedy books about the 70s that uh, Jay Leno really was known for being like the best stand-up out there uh, right right when he was doing the most Carson appearances and so on. What was it about his delivery versus other guys then, like let's say Letterman or Robin Williams, or I don't know if that match was Seinfeld's uh, time out there, Seinfeld's a little younger, but uh, what was it about Leno's delivery that really made him special for The Tonight Show? I think it was, I think it was two parts. I mean, for his stand-up, was to, it was one, it was, he, he had, uh, he always, when you look at his stuff, it's always like, what's stupid about this? I mean, Jay can go into any situation and, and, and literally cut right to the edge of what will all of us realize once we hear it is really stupid about this situation or life. And like, really, what do you mean? I don't understand. Um, well, I talk about all comics. Most normal people, and I put comics as not normal, most normal people walk into a room and go, this looks like a great party. The stand-up or the comic or the comedy writer will go in and go, what is really screwy about this event right now? Who shouldn't be here? Why are they serving this? It's a Jewish event and they're serving bacon cheeseburgers? What? So you're always looking for what's odd. What I think made Jay's stand-up so great was, again, just practice delivery and great punchlines and, 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 and premises that everyone could relate to. What made him so good, I think the best monologuist, you know, on The Tonight Show was the fact that he had such a big monologue, that he hit such a wide variety of topics and can do it. Hmm. Uh, Carson did 12, 15 jokes a night um, and obviously was a genius at it. But Jay, 25, 28, 30 jokes. Hmm. Uh, he gave audiences, and that's what people turned in to see. And what about what about the delivery versus other the other to, uh, Tonight guys? Uh I just think he's, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's hard to pinpoint. Um, Cause definitely there's something about his delivery. Yeah. I mean, well, he had, well, he had a unique delivery in, in the sense of, you know, he would have the hands hitting sometimes to make a point. Uh, look, he, he would bring the things that worked well from his years on the stage to that individual joke to help sell it. He always sold the joke. He never bailed on a joke. What, what do you mean? Uh, sold the joke. Uh, the, you'll see. And especially for, for uh, people just starting out, they don't believe in the joke. They'll do the setup. They'll do the twist, and then they'll start to let their voice trail off at the end. Mm. Or at the end, they'll go, oh. they'll, they'll kind of react to their own joke, like, oh, that didn't work. Mm. Uh, that's actually something that made uh, Carson great because John, a lot of Johnny's jokes didn't work. But what he did is he would have a saver. Like uh, I feel like Letterman had a lot of savers, too. So did Dave, and Dave was great at that. You know, Dave was, and I hate to use the word meta, but was very into his own performance, being very judgmental in a good way in his own performance. That gave him an edge. Jay sold the hell out of it, never gave up, and then moved to the, if it worked, great. If it didn't, move to the next joke. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I, loved, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and 
having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything then go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? <laughs> Yes, I definitely gonna use him for now. Not on. that you need it. You're you're young and healthy, James. I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at Hims dot com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hims.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hims.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. (music) 
so after the Tonight Show and he moved to 10 p.m. for a while, why do you think the audience didn't... Was it really that different an audience between 11.35 yeah, and 10 p.m.? I, you know, I, I don't know. I think that he was probably hampered a bit in the sense that NBC wanted Conan to do The Tonight Show and Jay to do a primetime show. We couldn't do all the things we had wanted to do. There were elements that people try. What we should have done, in retrospect, we're doing it, is do, the ex- do our Tonight Show at 10 o'clock. Exactly as it was. What did you try to do differently? I don't really remember. Uh, There's bits like uh, you know, there's the race car challenge, mm. and there was there, there was uh, it, it's blocked out of my mind, good or bad, a lot of it. But it, it was something when you went in, you go, I just don't think this work. Also, people who watch network TV tend to be creatures of habit. No, at ten o'clock we watch Law and Order, right, or ER you know, or something. And and remember, one of the great things, one of the reasons the Tonight Show and Late Night Shows are so successful. Again, we're going back to a, a different time. But people got their news at 11 o'clock at night. They got it at the evening news earlier in the day from Dan Rather or Walter Cronkite. And at 11 o'clock, they had a combination of local and national news. So they've heard the news. They're about to go to bed, right? They want something to take their mind off the day. That's really the, the, the genesis of the late night show's monologues. It's really interesting because, I mean, and you refer to this a lot in the show, and I want to I wanna address this. I also want to... Check your timing. Okay. Oh, we're good. You, you, uh, you know, you address this that a lot. A lot of the way we receive news now is through t- these late night shows, like and particularly the Daily Show, most recent, mostly in the past fifteen years. But really, all the late night shows is how we receive n- news. You know, Bill Maher, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, you, obviously previously David Letterman and and Jay Leno. Uh, you think that's like a comfortable way or a fun way? People obviously prefer laughing to to hardcore news. So you think that's the the, the choice of receiving news? Uh, I, I mean, I I think that part of it comes from the distrust of regular institutions. Remember, by nature, uh, comedians are anarchists. So you said a couple of things about comedians that make them different. Like, they're anarchists, they arrive at the party, and they're looking at something different. And I've heard Jerry Seinfeld uh, refer to this in his, you know, com- comedians and cars getting coffee. He always says, you know, these are my people. Re- basically referring to them almost like they have different brains than everyone else. So what is it? What is the comedian? Yeah, I mean, it, it is uh, the teller of truth. You know, God, that sounds so heavy. No, but it's kind of yeah. like the Joker in, yeah. in medieval it, history. Yes, exactly. You know, and a number of jesters had their heads cut off. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's, uh, they're the teller truth. They go, again, They a comic will go on stage and say either something we haven't thought of, which is true and we all get, or they'll say something we all thought of in a way that is really unique and funny and that brings us together. Again, I'm not talking about a particular comedian, but... Probably there have been more jokes done over the last 40 years about airlines. And whether it's about airline food or airline pilots or drunken pilots flying the wrong airport or pilots and flight attendants getting it on, whatever it is, why does that connect with us? Because we all have flown in an airplane at one point. It's a common experience. Maybe why do cruise ships, you know, do it? Because people take cruises. So what's the funniest story? When a cruise ship when everyone gets sick on it, but nobody dies. You know, when Carnival Cruise screws up badly. Because, one, we can poke fun. No one's hurt, so it's safe. We're poking fun at an institution, and we're saying something that we're all thinking, like, thank God I wasn't on that cruise. Yeah, like, the, the, you're, you're referring specifically to the cruise where, like, uh, crap was, like, floating around. Yeah, like, exactly. All pipes, yeah, so yeah. what was the joke from that? Well, I mean, the, the easy one is that's why they call it the poop deck. I mean, but, you know, there's, I mean, there's so, you know, it's rated the number two, you know, cruise line in the world. I mean, you do that on, <laughs> you know, you can do that, you know, on, you Give know. Give me a second to get that. Yeah, there you go. Well, by the way, there are easy layup jokes, you know, and when you take a great topic, yeah, you do the easy ones first, you know, mm-hmm. poop deck, you know, number two, whatever. Then you go to the the, the secondary level. Then you look for the, the really stupid fact. Do you know what I mean? That you go deep into the story. Originally, I'm going across the headlines. Later on, when I'm looking for jokes, I'm going to the, the little stupid fact, the dumb story. You know, again, it's, 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 I remember one of the first jokes after September 11th, you know, you very you can't really. Oh my God, you're not going to joke about the event. So you take something like, uh, you know, you know, people in Al Qaeda believe that when they die and go to heaven, there's going to be 72 virgins. What if they're all Janet Reno? Do you know what I mean? So 
you take you find a little fact about that rather than the event. What about like? Let's say that carnival, uh, and I, I don't mean to put you on the spot too much with this, but uh, let's say that yes, carnival. You uh, yes, you. Yes, Wait, I do. you're lying. Sorry, yes, you're I do. lying you're to right. your <laughs> listeners right now. <laughs> you mean to do this? This is what you, this is a trap. <laughs> Let me out of here. Right, right. No, no, you're you're right. Actually, so so I'm trapping you right here. But let's say that, but but not in a bad way. I legitimately want like to see what happens. But let's say that carnival cruise thing happened right now, and the debates happened last night. How would you associate the two together? Uh, you know, I would. The first thing I would do is say, well, of course, the big story. You know, you would assume that Concordia was, or the carnival cruise rather, was the big thing. Say, so, well, of course, the big story is, you know. People floundering around, crap being thrown everywhere, everyone getting sick at what they were saying. But enough about the debates. So, you know, I would do that. But if the debate was the big story, you couldn't do that because people would be right. They're already that. assuming. So you go, you know, the debate reminds me a lot of the carnival, you know, you know, cruise. Yeah, there's people floundering around, and then I do my rule of threes again. Okay, so that's so how I do it. So there's people floundering around. Yeah, people floundering around aimlessly. No one is really in charge. You know, every, you know, and in the end, everyone comes home covered with crap. You know? Got it. All right. So so that's how. I mean, the wording is not. Remember, I'm typing this and going, okay, let me word this better. Oh, the second one doesn't work. I'm just doing this riffing off. That's how I type it. Then I'd go back and say, let's clean this up. So again, on, on your process, like you mentioned how sometimes if you're feeling stuck, you'll go to the, you know, it's so hot today or a gas price or site. You'll start doing those. And even if it's a bad joke that you come up with, that just gets everything flowing and you start you start Ex riffing and going on. Exactly. Cause, and you don't know where it's going to lead. You know, I said, you know, A leads to B leads to C. Wait a second. There's the joke. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because I haven't thought of something along the way. How I long mean, would it take you to come up with like a hundred jokes? It's probably about seven hours of typing. You know, mm. reading, seven typing. Hours. Uh, here's the thing. What time did you wake up? Probably around six. Here's wake up around six thirty. I'd spend about an hour just you know reading. I wouldn't be writing anything. Just reading, getting everything. Driving to the show, listening to the radio on the way. Uh, get in. Then I go on to, you know, one of the big websites for the big stories. Do you know what I mean? CNN, Drudge, whatever it may be. And then I'd write down my nine top. I, a little OCD, I'd write down exactly nine topics. Here are nine topics today. And then I would start writing jokes about them. Either the association, crossing them, whatever. That would get me probably 30 or 40 jokes. Mm. Then I'd take whatever the biggest story was and I'd really dive in deep into it. The one or two big stories. Then... I'd say, okay, I need a little break, mental break. I do a formula joke. You know, a couple, it's so hot, it's so cold, gas is so high, stocks are down, the economy's bad, economy's good. I do some of those. Then I go to a website like FARC, which we talked about, which has a collection of bizarre, interesting stories from all around the world. And they are great. Uh, it's very funny in of itself, but they're also great to see stories about, you know. And Drew Curtis, the founder of FARC, has been on the podcast. Uh, so. I've never met him, but just a huge guy. fan. But, you know, that's the story. You know, a man in Belgium was caught having sex with a tree. Do you know what I mean? You know, and then you're all, you have the story and then you're off and running. By the way, associate that with the Trump. Uh, oh, I, I don't know if I can do uh, what Trump said. I never met that tree. You know, the, the tree is lying. Um, you could associate with Trump, but in and of itself, that's just so funny where I probably wouldn't do that. I would probably just do stuff about you know, the man fell in love with the tree. You know, he pined for her when she was away. You know, he got all spruced up when he saw her. Sorry. He would travel yeah. furthest. Bad puns, but it gets you through. Yeah, that's good. And then when you have a story that's so stupid like that. By the way, a man in Belgium did once have sex with the tree. That was actually true. Why was that in the news? Why? I mean, not that it shouldn't be in the news, but like, is it illegal or something to have sex with the tree? Well, or? it depends how old the tree is. <laughs> I mean, I, th I think I think that that's the first thing you have to ask. If the tree's eighteen and it's consensual, I think it's fine. But I, you know, so so it's interesting. You you to get out of the writer's block, you or to get out of the joker's block, whatever you want to call it, you kind of force yourself to just push out some jokes, whether they're bad or not. But at the end of the day, if Jay doesn't use any of your jokes meaning all of your jokes were bad that day, at least according to Jay, you felt really horrible, well, probably uh, until the next day. Well, like your wife couldn't cheer you up. Oh, I, you know, like I said, I wrote 100 jokes a day. If And he did about a 25-joke monologue on the average. If four got in, remember, there was you know, 15, 16 writers. Four is a great day. 
Yeah. Five. Like you would feel good. Oh. Your dopamine receptors were firing. Think of it as a baseball player. I don't know if you're a baseball fan. If you go four for four, although I'm really going four for 100, but that's besides the point. I got four hits today. Three, pretty good. Two, uh, you know, it could have been better. One, depressed. I never. Do you get depressed because you feel you're losing it or because. I felt I lost it every day for 4,610 shows. Meaning, like, that was yesterday was my last day. That's it. I can't write it again. There are some writers who say, I can't believe he picked that joke by somebody else and didn't pick mine. I was never like that. I was, I've lost it. No wonder he didn't pick my jokes. So so it's two, so it seems like there's two reactions among writers. One is uh, anger that people don't like your stuff. Uh, and I'm saying this about writers in general as opposed to just right. joke writing. And then the other reaction is I'm no longer good. And I was clearly in the latter every h- day. How do you fight that? Because that could also be debilitating. Yeah, massive amounts of alcohol and cheap hookers. <laughs> um, but in addition to that, um, no, what you here's the great thing about The Tonight Show. There's a show the next day. But you but how do you you it could be almost self-fulfilling in that um you could keep saying right. I'm no good. You could almost your mind could almost can like, nev- protect you by being even worse the next day. Well, that that's if again to use a baseball analogy, if a relief pitcher thinks about the home run he gave up the night before, he's gonna have a bad day the next day. I am blessed in one sense with I would get horribly depressed for an hour or two, and then I would two things happen. One is I would realize there's a show the next day. And I have short-term memory. They say that's the greatest thing about a relief pitcher, having short-term memory. I'd forget about it. I really would move on. The other thing is I was very lucky that some people only wrote for The Tonight Show. Jay was always very generous in saying, yeah, you want to go write for the Oscars? So I'd go home and spend three hours writing jokes for, you know, for Steve Martin or for Chris or for one of the hosts I wrote for. And I'm into that. And if I nailed a good joke on that, even though you weren't going to see the, remember, the Oscars is like, and all those award shows are like, a Tonight Show, they've never been tried before those jokes, except there's hundreds of millions of people watching, um, which is a lot of pressure. So, But it's interesting, though. It reminds me of advice I've read recently about any creative activity or even business activity that if you're going down one path and you feel frustrated or it's not working out, if you have multiple things you're working on, in, in some sense, if you have a disorganized desk so you can pick up something else in the desk that's crumpled up and start working on it, that almost provides more pleasure and more creative solace. I could I could not agree more. I mm. think that that was, I had that great advantage. So it enabled me to, you know, beat myself up for an hour or two, turn to something else, have some success there, at least on those other projects, because you're not getting an immediate rejection or acceptance. You're, what you're getting is, hey, these are good jokes I just wrote, even though they may not be used for two months because that the Oscars is because I was writing for shows down the road. You were also straddling two worlds in that you were, yes, you were writing for all these. Not only were you writing for Tonight Show, but then you were writing for these other, you know, important comedy shows. But you were also kind of writing some jokes occasionally for politicians. You were in, yes. and that was probably an easier task in a weird yeah, way. Yeah, the, the problem with politicians are for them, you know, there's those who can deliver a joke great, and then there's those who are you know, really bad. Um, I've written for both. What I try to do, the trick with political figures and corporate figures too, who are not natural joke tellers, is to, it's the geniuses of of the top 10. I mean, Dave is obviously a great joke teller, but you just give them one setup and then a bunch of punchlines. Yeah, so, I remember one guy, oh, Garth, uh, uh, Garth Brooks you wrote for, right? Where, uh, uh, no, uh, I can't. Mi- Maybe I was reading a different. It comedy might have been guy. a different book. But, uh, oh no! For I did do that thing for Garth. Yes, and you, you, give specifically, him the one, you specifically made him bad, and yeah, that was funny. Well, yeah, there was one event he did where where he he and he he loved the premise, which was to sell the jokes like they're great, knowing that they're they're off. But again, and did it, it work? Yeah, Garth. Uh, well, also, he the truth is he he is a good joke teller too. Okay. But it was a good premise. Uh, but for a politician, you might be. Uh, if you were doing a gridiron speech or something like that, I might come in and say, why Nebraska is different than Washington, D.C.? So now I've got that premise and you just list 10 joke lines. So they don't have to do set up punchline, set up punchline, set up punchline, which takes more timing. They've got the one set up, then punchline, 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 punchline. It's like a joke run. It's so hot. In one sense, you've got that premise. It makes it much easier for a non-pro. If you were to give advice on delivery, what would be like the most two or three most important things? 
end on the punchline. Uh, there's, uh, for a lot of people out there, it's called a punchline for a reason. There are people out there that are non-pros that sometimes add extra words after the joke. They put the punchline in the middle somehow and then trail, or they let their voices trail off. It's called a punchline for a reason. Punch it out, sell it. Your delivery should be, you don't give the premise and then maybe a twist and then do the punchline and let your voice trail off. Mm. You want to have it come out and punch it and let them know, smile, enjoy it. Let them know you think it's funny. Mm. So, so as you were doing this, it also, obviously you're tying in all your political stuff. You, you mentioned in the book, Jay Leno probably made more jokes about Democrats than Republicans and you're a Democrat. Uh, did it ever come into play your own political affiliations when you were writing jokes? Did you ever hold yourself back? Never. Uh, you know, and some people might find that hard to believe, but I like, did you tell Monica Lewinsky jokes oh, every night? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, you compartmentalize because in the end, my job was not to use the Tonight Show to uh, to advocate. My, jo my job was to help, hopefully, make people laugh. And so you went off what was in the news. There was more jokes about Democrats because a Democrat would, again, you always make fun of the king. A Democrat was the king for 13 of the 22 years that I was on the show, by definition. Also, the Democrats we had in office were not one-dimensional. President Bush, in terms of comedy, was a little bit one-dimensional. You know, President Bush, he's not very smart. That's the comma. But when you have somebody like Bill Clinton, who's obviously very smart, but obviously had some marriage problems, gotten a couple scandals. He had whitewater. He had, you know, this. He had a huge appetite, literally a huge appetite for food. Remember, he was Bubba at, at McDonald's. And Jay Leno did a lot of those, I guess. Where well, yeah, you, do, you do what's, again, you do what people, I can't convince you. <coughs> excuse me, that uh, Dan Quayle is a genius. I can't. I can't convince you that Bill Clinton is dumb. I can do a joke that you'll accept that Bill Clinton has not exactly always been faithful. Right. I'm not trying to sell you something that you won't believe. So, so what, what were the hardest parts? Uh, was it this kind of dealing with this depression and coming back? What were the hardest parts of coming up with 100 jokes a day? Were there simply days where you couldn't come up? Yeah, there's sometimes when there's, when once, I would find it very hard now to do that uh, because the story, our news is so much dominated right now by the election, but not in a good way, in the sense of it's Trump, 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 you know, WikiLeaks, Trump, it's the same joke. You need news. That's why I like primaries. When there, when there's a 17 candidate Republican primary, there's somebody new saying something stupid every day. Right. When there's a nine candidate Democratic primary, the same. When it's one on one, and they're pretty much we already know who they are, what they are, and what they're saying, makes it hard. So then you'd have to go to. So you you don't have a lot. Those stories. Trump knocked everything off the front page, but Trump, right? So now you have to really delve deeper. To yeah, like find what other stories are like? Let's say, and by the way, it happens to be that I'm doing an open mic tonight. So what, what stories are out by there? Way, other you, than my manager is David Steinberg. You can call and cut the deal right now. <laughs> um, the uh, you could also call WME. You can call Evan Warner. Okay, the, uh, I'm calling them all. Uh, you know, I would make a list again. You'd have, uh, you know, if people don't applause, applaud at one of your jokes. Oh, clearly, this audience is rigged. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You know, like you, you've got the rigged, you've got, you know, the fact that, you know, you know, I do not accept the results of blank. Um, whoever's coming on after you, if you're introducing them, say, unlike in the presidential election, we're about to see a peaceful transition of power. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Bob. <laughs> so you could have that sort of thing like that. <clears throat> You'd have you have the World Series or the baseball playoffs. Uh, it's always good when a New York team is bad. Again, the fact that the Minnesota Vikings are good or the Minnesota Twins are bad, nobody cares. You want Chicago, L.A., New York, Boston. That's what you want. You want the Jets to go 0-16. You don't want the Jets to go 9-7 and because that gives you something. So, I, by the way, I don't know. I, don't, I suspect the Jets are not great right now, uh, but that's a good topic. You know, it's, it's, you say Donald's performance was so bad last night, he could be quarterback for the New York Jets. By the way, I don't know how the quarterback's doing, but if it huh. fits, great. Um, what else could you do? 
You could do Halloween's coming up. That's always good. You know, if you really want to scare Paul Ryan, go to his house dressed as Donald Trump. You know, so you pick those topics. I can see you're writing these down. Uh, I know I'm going to hear them. I I know I'm going to hear these. Memory. Um, We're being recorded. Right. Just play. Just play this back. Right. I brought along my friend John. Um, So those are the things I would do. Look for, but I'd have to delve really deep, and I would probably go to Fark earlier for stories or maybe but it's it's an interesting point though that the news cycle is dominated right now by one story in a way that i've never really seen before like i feel like i, I honestly i feel like in 2000 i don't even know what year we're in right now i feel like four years ago 2012 uh it was a it was a reasonable race like Barack Obama, smart, intelligent guy. Mitt Romney, smart, intelligent right. guy. And they're both debating issues. Whether you agree with them or not is okay. But there was something, there was something cl- like classic political race about it. And this one is just a mess. Right. It's a mess. It's again the, it dominates the news in a much different way, much like September 11th did, where every story is that, and you have to dig down. And remember, when you have a topic, everyone knows. Let's let's go back six months, much easier to do Trump jokes because he was kind of new in the process. We weren't so inured to whatever is going on with him. So you could do a Trump joke and wouldn't have to explain it. You don't have to explain them now. They're just repetitive. When you take a joke from from the back of the newspaper, you have to set it up with a, hey, you all must have, might have heard about this, even though they haven't. A mm. man in Belgium today was arrested for having sex with a tree. You have to tell them the premise. You can't make that the punchline. Mm. That has to be the setup, and then you do it. So, um, you know, before before the podcast started, I was mentioning to you that I was, you know, I read the book monologue a couple times. Excellent book to learn the whole process. Yeah, you of, could buy one and read, and buy like one and read it three times, or buy three and read it once. I, I probably have done both at this point. Excellent. But um, then I realized you wrote this book I read years ago, which is How to Be Funny. Like, that used to be my go-to book on... And you had... Base, it was great because the way you set it up because it's all these different situations and how to be funny in that situation. So what were some of the... You know, I, I, I wish I had reread it in preparation for this podcast, but I read it years ago. But what were some of the situations? It was well, like dates. I, I, oh, yeah. I mean, I you know, again, the, the original premise of the book changed, which to this day I regret a little bit because the original premise was it was going to be a high-dollar hardback cover book aimed at CEOs, you know. A little bit like Judy Carter's The Comedy Bible. Right, yeah. It was it was aimed at, you know, the idea was how to inject humor in speeches and in, in dealing with employees, you know, things like that. It was going to be high-end. It evolved, uh, maybe not in a way I really wish it had, although I'm proud of the book, but into more of a how to be funny for everyone. And it was like, you know, things to say on a date, things not to say on a date. You know, so I had my own humor in there, but how do you be funny on a date? How do when you have to give a wedding toast, everybody has to give a wedding toast. Here are some do's. Here are some don'ts. What's a do? Uh, a do is to reference, uh, to make fun of yourself at the beginning. So you're buying permission then to poke a little fun at the groom. How do you do it? I, whatever self-deprecating about your, yourself. What would you do? For, about me yeah. or about you? You. <laughs> uh, about me, I would do, uh, what would I do? So I, probably something about being from Philadelphia, my Philadelphia accent. You know, you know, you know, you know, this is a great situation tonight. We're celebrating a big victory, which for someone who's from Philadelphia is not, you know, a Philadelphia sports fan doesn't often happen. <laughs> Just kind of bring it on yourself, right. then change it. A don't is, you know, lay off the bride, lay off the bridesmaids. Don't talk about the groom, the fact that you had sex with his sister. <laughs> you know, that's locker room talk. This right. is a wedding. Everyone's there to celebrate. If you, you know, if you can't be funny with a series of jokes, make it short. You know what I mean? So, so John, I want to, I, I don't want to take advantage of your, your generous time. Too late. Um, <laughs> Monologue is an excellent book. I want to ask you a couple of real, real quick questions. Who are some of your favorite standups out there right now? Like performing out there right now? Uh, for me, obviously, you know, again, if I were to, if you were to say, buy me tickets to see people, Jay Leno, Chris Rock. Marty Short and Steve Martin, they're doing a double together. Uh, the two of them are out on the road. I feel like it's they a just, little old school. Now, well, well Louis C.K., uh, big fans of the Broad City Girls, uh, really big fans of them. I think they're fantastic. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Sarah Silverman. Huge fan. And here's the interesting thing. 
Early on, I wasn't. Hmm. And I don't know why. It just was like, eh. And it's grown and grown and grown on me, uh, Sarah. In terms of the young comics, you know, I, I'm like fine wine. I like to see them age on stage a little bit uh, so they speak more to me. But, you know, in terms of the younger ones, I mean, again, you put Louis C.K. as transitional maybe. Right. Uh, but again, the Broad City Girl's fantastic. And Sarah, I mean, although she's, you know, transitional also, uh, to use a better word, that's who I would go see. And in terms of late night, uh, where how would you rank it? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rank him because here's the interesting thing: there's something different from everybody. I love Jimmy Fallon. If you like, each has something to offer. You like more of a variety show. If you like a good time, if you like a guy who's incredibly multi-dimensional talent, I watch Jimmy Fallon. If you're looking for really strong monologues, I go Conan or Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, I just haven't watched Seth enough uh, to really judge, but obviously he's a great writer, and I like the fact that he's sitting down now. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of, again, more variety, Corden makes me laugh. I think he's good. Mm. Different style, not going out there telling jokes, but if you want more, you know, if you, again, if you like carpool karaoke and more of those sketch type things, fantastic. And, you know, obviously you're not done with your career just because the Tonight Show is Show's something over. I don't know. <laughs> What's uh, what's the next step for you? Uh, next step, probably uh, late lunch. And, oh, uh, the the uh, next step for me, I'm really lucky. I'm doing a lot of, uh, I'm doing my usual award shows. Uh, again, I don't know when this is going to run, but I'm, you know, doing, uh, I'm doing the Mark Twain Prize for Bill Murray in three days. Uh, he gets the Mark Twain Prize. I'm one of the writers in that show. And Mark Twain was a huge inspiration for Bill Murray. Yes, there, there you go. And, and, uh, so doing that, I'm doing the uh, I'm doing a, a show at the Apollo uh, on on Fox Network's going to bring back Showtime. They're doing a pilot about Showtime at the Apollo. Uh, when you say doing a show, are you writing writing, writing for whoever the presenters are? Okay. I'm doing the Britannia BAFTA Awards uh, next week in L.A. Uh, I'm hopeful be hopeful knock on wood be doing the Golden Globes again. Uh, I'm doing the NAACP Image Awards. That's all coming up. And, uh, you know, um, uh, and whoever else calls, uh, if Marty or Steve or Billy or Chris or Jay, if they need anything, just remember the motto, well, no show too small, no fee too large. Excellent. Well, uh, again, John, thanks for coming on. Monologue's an excellent book. How to Be Funny is an excellent book. I'd also throw in, in that genre, I really enjoy Bill Carter's books about late night. I enjoy um, Dave Berg's book about, you know, being a producer of The yep. Tonight Show. I think this is like one genre. All those books are must-reads. I, I I would say buy every one of Carter's books, buy Dave's book, and buy at least three of each of mine. Seriously, they make <laughs> wonderful Christmas, Hanukkah, or Kwanzaa gifts. All right, will do. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network at jamesaltucher.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. Hey, thanks for listening. Listen, I have a big favor to ask you, and it will only take 30 seconds or less. And it would mean a huge amount to me. If you like this podcast, please let me know. Please let the team I work with know. Please let my guests know. And you can do this easily by subscribing to the podcast. It's probably the biggest favor you could do for me right now, and it's really simple. Just go to iTunes, search for The James Altucher Show, and click subscribe. Again, it will only take you 30 seconds or less. And if you subscribe now, it will really help me out a lot. Thanks again.